Our second reading today comes from the Gospel according to Luke, chapter 10. It's the very familiar story of Martha and Mary. Now, as they went on their way, he entered a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister named Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to what he was saying. But Martha was distracted by her many tasks, so she came to him and asked, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and distracted by so many things. There is need of only one thing. Mary has chosen the better part, which will not be taken away from her. This is the word of the Lord. I love the story of Martha and Mary. I love it because I need it. Because I'm Martha. I'm always doing, cleaning, tidying, organizing, making lists, finding tasks to be accomplished. And I can't rest until everything is in its place. Anyone else here like this? Some heads nodding, some fingers going up. It could be a Presbyterian character trait. We come from the tradition of the Protestant work ethic. If pressed, many of us would say that we identify with Martha. Many men, as well as a good, many number, a good number of women, I think, would totally sympathize with Martha. Here she is, doing all the work, while her sister does what Martha thinks is nothing. In a time and a culture where men, not women, sat to learn at the feet of the master. Perhaps even worse, Martha thinks, Mary is doing something inappropriate, certainly not women's work. There are so many layers to this short story. It's been offered in the past as a justification of the Christian contemplative life over the life of Christian service. It's been used to justify the role of women in the church, that our place is truly here among the male disciples who learn, interpret, and spread the word of our Lord. By some, it's been criticized as silencing the women's voices and even as patronizing towards women's roles in the church. I'm interested in all these interpretations as I am in all biblical interpretation. They all make valid points. I don't claim to know or to offer the right reading. Indeed, if we think we have the absolutely correct reading of any biblical text, it's time to start questioning our theology. 
But today I'd like to approach this story on its most basic level, the story of what happened between Jesus and his close friends, Martha and Mary. The two women appear only twice in the New Testament, here in Luke and again in John's Gospel as the sisters of Lazarus, whom Jesus raises from the dead. They all lived in Bethany, a small town in Judea, close to Jerusalem, and they hosted Jesus in their home as he traveled around teaching and healing. Clearly, the siblings knew Jesus very well as a friend, as well as teacher, prophet, Messiah. We are told in John 11, verse 5, that Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. They knew of his healing abilities since Martha tells Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. They believe in him as the Messiah and as the Son of God. Jesus loves them enough to return to Judea when he hears of the death of Lazarus, even though it's very dangerous for him to return there because his life had recently been threatened there. In this brief conversation here in Luke, Martha and Jesus interact almost like siblings, certainly with great familiarity. Martha knows Jesus well enough to tell him what to do. Don't you care, she says, that I'm doing all the work by myself? Tell Mary to come and help me. It seems to me that this is an amazing way to address the Son of God. She's admonishing him. She's telling him he should have noticed what was going on between them. I imagine Martha clattering dishes in the kitchen, making more noise than necessary so Jesus will notice that someone is doing all the work around here. Did she maybe try first to tell Mary to help her? Did Mary brush her off? Or tell her to wait a moment? She'd help when the master, the teacher, the Messiah, the Son of God had finished explaining about the kingdom of heaven. Did Mary say, Martha, come and sit down too. You've got to hear this. Don't you know the Lord will provide all that we need? Don't you remember that he just fed 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish? We don't know whether Mary said anything at all. Luke doesn't tell us anything about Mary except that she sat at the Lord's feet and listened to what he was saying and that Jesus says that she has chosen well. Jesus' words in response to Martha are very well known. Essentially, he tells her that her sister has chosen better than she has. But it's the way that Jesus tells Martha this that speaks so eloquently to me. Schaberg regards the words as patronizing, but I see them as deeply caring, 
filled with affection and tenderness, completely focused on who Martha is, how she approaches the world. Jesus repeats her name, Martha, Martha, as he affectionately claims her full attention. Jesus knows her. He doesn't criticize her. He simply says, this is who you are. You're worried. You're distracted. And hearing these intimate, all-knowing words, I know that this is me, too. And it's true of so many of us. We are all distracted by worldly tasks and things. And I just want to weep and say, Lord, you know me so well with all my failings and shortcomings. You know all the things that keep me from you, that keep me from sitting at your feet and hearing more about the beautiful, peaceful, loving kingdom of God. Because that is the one thing that is necessary. Jesus tells Martha, there is need of only one thing. We don't have to ask what that thing is. If we had a chance to sit at the feet of Jesus, could we set aside all that has to be done to simply listen to the Lord? Or would we be afraid of too much truth? Of a truth so beautiful, so deeply moving, and so real that we would choose instead to turn again to the familiar things of life, the chores, the distractions. Would Jesus' love move us so deeply that we would, like Martha, need to head to the kitchen to cook something or out into the yard to cut the grass? Is Martha simply afraid of the divine? My sister is a non-believer, but she is passionate about church music, and like me, of course, she grew up in the church. Once, when she was visiting us in Gainesville, we all attended church with my daughter, who prefers a more evangelical style of worship than most Presbyterians are comfortable with. There's nothing like good praise songs and a gifted evangelical preacher to open up the pathways of the heart. As the worship drew to a close, I looked over at my sister to see that she was sobbing. She said through her tears, I wish that I could believe. And I wish I could say that she had a marvelous conversion that day, but she didn't. She's still a non-believer, and I love her dearly, hoping that God will find a path again to her heart. Because that's what I believe happened that day. For an hour or two, my sister sat at the feet of Jesus, and he found for a short while a way through her sadness so that she could, for a time, feel his love.
Only she can truly say why she can no longer sit at Jesus' feet. But I am comforted by my dear Swiss Presbyterian friend's comment about those whom I love who do not know God's grace. Don't worry, she says. God will find them. Our Bible study group this morning watched a Rob Bell video called Breathe. It's about God's presence in every breath we take, about the Hebrew word for breath, ruach, which also means spirit. Bell says in that video that we breathe unconsciously, barely recognizing the act of, the miracle of breathing, so distracted are we by the many responsibilities that we have. It's a wonderful 15-minute video that you can find on YouTube. Bell says that when Moses passed by the burning bush and recognized the presence of God in it, the miracle was actually within Moses himself that Moses had passed by many metaphorical burning bushes, but had never until that point been open enough to hear God calling to him. He was too distracted to hear God's call, too distracted up to that point to feel the breath of God. I had my own sharp reminder of the healing power of God's spirit, the healing power of the breath of God just this week. My heart rate dropped last Sunday night to below 30 beats a minute. I felt very weak and lightheaded. I also felt a certain level of panic about the possible implications of such a low pulse. As Lan and I waited in the ER, a wonderful Vietnamese doctor made the decision to admit me to the hospital. He looked with concern at the monitor that showed my weak heartbeat. He put his hand on my shoulder and told me to breathe deeply in and out. I began to feel myself relax with this better pattern of breathing Dr. Wynne watched the monitor and said delightedly, you see, your heart rate is going up. It increased into the 40s while I kept up the deep breathing. People who meditate and concentrate on their breathing frequently feel closer to the divine. I had been so distracted by my fears and anxieties that I had forgotten God's healing power. Dr. Wynne was one of the many people God sent my way this week to heal and minister to me. And I firmly believe that your prayers, too, played a vital role in the healing God provided for me this week. Luke does not tell us what Martha's response was to Jesus' words. I strongly believe that Jesus was not admonishing her, but simply and lovingly stating that he understood her distraction. At the same time, 
Jesus was calling her to come and sit at his feet to hear the wonders of God's kingdom. Come and be a part of all this, Jesus says. Come and share in the love and pass that love along to others. Come and learn how to offer life to those who will listen. The word is for women and for men. The good news is about abundant life. It's about living now, creating the kingdom with others who hear the good news. How could Martha refuse? How could she not come to the feet of Jesus? How could we not come? All is prepared and ready without any need to labor and toil. Like our communion table, it's prepared for us, for us all, everyone. Amen. And as we prepare for our Holy Communion, let's sing together hymn number 513, Let Us Break Bread Together. Mm-hmm.